Our scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to listen now for the word of God. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord. What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is the question that is decisively asked and answered in this text. And so we might as well ask it here at the beginning. Is the Lord among us or not? The question is asked by a thirsty people worn down by the journey at the edge of life. Tasting the first hints of death. A people who have exhausted their own resources and in desperation and deep need ask, is the Lord among us or not? The Lord was powerfully among them with signs and wonders while they were slaves in Egypt. They remember. They remember the Lord toppling Pharaoh. They remember the Nile turning into a river of blood. They remember splitting the Red Sea. They remember God leading them powerfully among them as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. The Lord was among them. The Lord had pledged to be their God had made covenant with them. The Lord had said He would be beneath them and around them and above them and ahead of them. They believed. They trusted. But now they were thirsty. And when you're thirsty, everything gets called into question. One summer when I was in high school, I worked for a man who lived in our neighborhood who owned some fields outside of town. I shouldn't really say I worked one summer. I worked 
a week of one summer because that was really all I could take. That summer I learned a few things about myself and one of those things is how incapable I was at swinging uh, what we called in Alabama a sling blade. That's what I was supposed to do to clear these tall grasses that any decent human being would have used a lawnmower on with a sling blade. It was 95 degrees. That's uh, Alabama 95 degrees, which is as close a preview of hell as you can get. I was just driven in the back of a pickup truck with four other young men And we were dropped off in stages along this dirt road where there were these tall grasses along each side. And we were promised by our neighbor that he would be back around. It was a lonely stretch of land in a desolate part of the world. I've tried to put most of that out of my mind. But the one thing I remember clearly was the thirst. Just the the dry, bone-deep thirst. And I remember that every two hours or so, the neighbor would bring by his pickup truck, and on the back of it now was a clear tank of water. He would stop the truck, grab a bottle, fill it up from the tank, and hand it down to me. And he said, I'll be back in a couple of hours to refill it. The sight of that truck coming down the road and the sound of it was like the coming of the kingdom of God. And I don't think water has ever tasted as good to me as it did those long week, that long week in that field. Now the thirst was only compounded by a fear that occasionally made its way into my consciousness. What if the truck doesn't come? What if he forgets or it breaks down or what then? But it did, like clockwork, every two hours or so. And soon enough, I trusted the arrival of the truck enough to put the fear away in my mind and put my body back to work. Israel in the desert still has a powerful memory of life in Egypt. They may have been slaves, but the water trucks ran on time in Egypt. And they didn't know thirst like this in Egypt. They didn't live constantly on that thin dividing line between life and death, that precarious, lean place. They didn't know that in Egypt. At least they didn't. They knew now they didn't know that in Egypt. What kind of God, they began to ask, would bring them out of a place like Egypt to die of thirst in the wilderness? And I want to say, I think that's a fair question. It's a question I'm certain I would ask. It's a question I have asked. And perhaps a few of you have as well. 
Is the Lord among us or not? A man lies dying of a rare disease and his family circles around him in prayer. Lots of prayer, some of them spoken and some of them silently prayed with clenched fists. Why? He is a good man. This makes no sense. Are you there, God? Is the Lord among us or not? A woman once told me that after her husband was burned in a fire and spent the rest of his life battling uh, pain from that and trying to hide the scarring, she said to me, I pray every night for strength for myself and for him to be free of this pain and anxiety. And then she paused and she said, I also tell God that when I see him, I have some questions that I want to ask face to face. I hope I do see him. That last statement felt more like a question, a hint of doubt. Is the Lord among us or not? The job I had before I came here was as the director of the Commission on Ministry of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. An aspect of this job was to be a pastor to pastors in that denomination. There are a great many small rural churches and small town churches being served in that denomination by faithful men and women. But the fact is that the same pressures facing most of the churches in our day face them as well, and they have far fewer resources to fall back on. Many of these pastors were beginning to realize they were serving as hospice chaplains for churches that were dying. I heard the question put to me in many ways by these seminary-educated folks many of whom came of age at a time when churches were full and they had dedicated their lives to them, asking me the question silently in their studies or in their living rooms, is the Lord among us or not? Walter Brueggemann says that's what Lent is all about, is it not? To come face to face with God in need because there is no alternative. Lent is about the raw, deepest need in our own life. The water question is turned into the God question concerning the one who it is said leads us beside still waters. Is the Lord among us? Or not? It's a legitimate question. All the variations on it are legitimate questions. It is asked in honesty. It is asked by people who have nothing to lose. And who demand that God deliver on God's promises. 
Here they are, Moses says to God, and you brought them out here. They're about to stone me. They need you. I need you. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. That can easily be lost in this text when we focus so much on the quarreling. God says yes to this quarreling people, to this honest people. God tells Moses to take that same staff that he used to strike the Nile River and turn it to blood, a powerful memory of God's presence in the past. He is to take the elders and go out ahead of the people to pass in front of all the people so they will see him go. And he's to take the elders with him as witnesses so that this memory, this presence will be remembered and sustained. And God promises that Moses will see God there at the rock. So Moses will know once again that God is present with him and with the people. The gift is given. As water from a rock, as sure a sign of grace as I can imagine. There is no more likely, no more unlikely place for water to spring up than from flint rock in the middle of a desert. God has responded to the need with a firm and decisive yes, an unlikely yes. A yes that answers the questions about the presence of God but also reveals something about the nature of this God who is present to them. God does not deal the way Pharaoh deals. God's ways are not Egypt's ways. Egypt provides water on time, a roof over their head, food for their hunger, a predictable, manageable life. They are easy gifts, but they have an enormous price tag. What Israel exchanges for this easy God of Egypt is their very freedom. What the true God, the God of Israel, desires is a way, to quote one writer, that is lean and precarious. One that requires trust. God desires trust in the wilderness. God desires not to be viewed as faithful simply because God gives us all we need, but as faithful because God has made promises to us and God can be trusted. Even when times are lean. Even when the water seems far away. When I returned to Austin this winter, I discovered that they had built a labyrinth there on the campus, on the grounds of the seminary, right next to the chapel. It's bounded by slate rock and filled with small stones. And it takes you on a winding journey to the center and then back out again. 
At the entrance to this uh, labyrinth is a large granite fountain. And water flows from the top of this fountain and all down its sides, continuously. There are moments there, because this is right in the center of Austin and right in the center of the Texas campus, University of Texas. There are moments when you're on the far end of that labyrinth, when the sounds of the city, the cars and the trucks and the constant construction and the loud pedestrians and the sirens threatens to drown out the sound of that water. And that's when you really have to focus to hear it. But you do when you focus. Each Sunday, our service begins with the acolyte pouring water into this pond. Sometimes it's easy to miss it. If you're just a couple of minutes late, you're, you're going to miss it. If uh, there's shuffling of papers around you, you're probably going to miss it. Uh, if you're distracted by something inside you or outside of you, you're maybe going to miss it. It's easy to miss the sound of that water being poured into that font. And when we step out of the sanctuary and into the labyrinthine days of our existence, when the news is streaming across our screens and the news is mainly despairing and our own lives can sometimes be uncertain, It can be hard to hear the water pouring into this font so far away. Our days may be flush and satisfying, and we begin believing that we are the authors of this goodness, and we forget the font. Or our days may take us winding far away from this source into wildernesses where we are parched, And we cry out, is the Lord among us or not? And we forget the font. Lent is a time of invitation to listen. Really listen for the sound of these waters. In deep trust that they are always flowing And that the promise that we belong to God and that God is with us. The promise that the grace of God is not a mirage. That it flows continuously is as real as the water poured into this font. Lent is a time for us to pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what is always there. Flowing. Even now. As you leave this place today, wherever you go, these waters accompany you, flowing from the rock of God's faithfulness. May you hear them, especially in the parched places. And may you drink deeply and be at peace.